Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Y-Pod, where we highlight everyday Wyoming leaders. I'm really looking forward to you hearing this conversation with Pete Obermuller. Pete, thanks for doing this today. Very happy to do it. Thanks for having me, Eric. Absolutely. Pete is the executive director of the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. And if anyone else is like me, born and raised in Wyoming, we think we know a lot about the uh, oil and gas industry and how it affects our economy. Uh, I was stunned by a lot of the information that I saw and stunned in a really good way. Um, so I, I'm really excited about you doing this today, Pete. Before we dive into that information, though, a little bit about your background, because it is a fairly common story for people in Wyoming to be here, to leave and go somewhere else, and then to come back. And you followed a path a little bit like that. Could you tell us about your background? Yeah, sure. And yeah, I grew up in Wyoming, but I tell you, I did not know anything about the oil and gas industry either. Uh, I knew a little bit and then I started this job and the learning curve has been enormous. So don't feel bad if you don't know that much about it. Uh, it's uh, it's more complicated than it seems. And I tell you, I, I really started from almost zero. Um, so yeah, I, I did follow that that path, and um, I actually wish that it was more common than it is uh, about coming back to Wyoming. Uh, but I, I grew up in Casper, uh, went to uh, Natrona County High School, graduated from there, and uh, then I left for 20 years. I went to uh, a small college in Minnesota and uh, spent about a decade in Minnesota in school and, and uh, took an, an interesting diversion for a, a few years where I worked for a band, uh, a musical band, managed uh, a band for a while. And, uh, and let me tell you, I always wanted to get into politics and to work on Capitol Hill and all that, but uh, trying to convince people on Capitol Hill that there um, are marketable skills from working for a band to working on Capitol Hill, that, that, that was a trip. And ended up, uh, I ended up having, in order to get a job on Capitol Hill, I ended up having to go out there and I worked for a senator from Minnesota for free. And um, I just, uh, I lived like in a, in, a, in a, you know, like a group home and um, slept on the floor and made like the um, reception circuit to eat and just hemorrhage dollars. Uh, but just so that I could be present out there in order to finally land a job and, and ended up uh, finally getting a job in the office of former Wyoming representative Barbara Cuban, who gave me really my first real shot. So um, she's always going to be my hero for that. And that's how I started in the Wyoming policy realm on, on Capitol Hill and then stayed on for Representative Cynthia Lummis uh, for a time and then uh, got uh, to the point in D.C. where it was uh, sort of crossroads time. I was uh, married, had two kids, and, um, you know, the, the, about the average age in, in the House of Representatives out in D.C. In, in a personal office is, I think, somewhere around 26 years old. At the time, I was like 36, 37, so I was a fossil, and um, it was sort of time to decide, well, am I going to stick it out out here or, or should I or should I come back home and uh, uh, decided it was best for us uh, for me for my family and all that to, to come back home and uh, it, it was it was a great choice and came back home to work for the county commissioners um, and so I spent uh, about 
six years working for running the County Commissioners Association, which is all uh, 93 county commissioners in Wyoming work together uh, across county lines and, uh, and I worked for them before coming over here to, to the Petroleum Association about uh, well, almost two years ago now. So uh, that, that's, that's the short version uh, and I wish, you know, a lot of my friends from Casper followed a similar thing where they left and, and came back and uh, but I tell you, we need it in Wyoming. We need it. Um, it's it's fine. I learned so much going to, to live in the Twin Cities and Washington, D.C., and I wouldn't trade that for the world. But boy, we need we need our, our people to come back home. It's true. Yeah, it's it, it's a great question, and uh, it, I, I think uh, in large part it had to do with how um, how important the oil and gas industry is to uh, really the way of life in Wyoming, and and I, I don't mean that really in a cliched way. I, I I mean that in terms of of how how big oil and gas is in terms of driving our economy. And uh, and providing jobs and providing livelihood. Uh, it's an anecdote I always like to tell uh, about you talking to a guy um, uh, in Wyoming who sells candy for a living. Um, but he he said to he said to me, you know, I'm I'm in the candy business, but I'm also in the oil business um, because he he knew and understood that um, you know at least for now the way that oil and gas goes in Wyoming is the way pretty much we all go. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to be a part of driving um, an organization that could just be more, more active and upfront. Things like, like this podcast to talk about um, the, the things that, that my members are doing and, and why we do it and, and all of that. So it just doesn't get lost in the noise of, of uh, news stories and uh, you know, outside reports and that kind of thing. So we've tried really hard to just be be more present and available uh, for for people to uh, just to, to know someone to call. You know, I'm a kid from Casper. Uh, uh, my office is here in Cheyenne now, but uh, and you know, I've got a couple of people in Casper who are you know lifelong um, you know residents there and or Wyoming residents, and just you know being available for people in Wyoming to to. to call and talk about these things uh, rather than just hearing about it from from elsewhere and wondering what's going on so that that's been good that's been that's been really fun about this job is is, is, is really upping its our, our public facing focus a little bit when you mention something that has a significant impact on the state a few things that that i didn't even think about when i started to think about the industry a little bit in this conversation there are so many segmentations Yeah, it's, it's, speaking of something I didn't even know uh, before, it's, like, it's it's sort of one on one. I was embarrassed to not to not know it, but uh, to really not know the the different aspects. Um, but yeah, you know, in in the industry, it's divided, you know, largely divided in those three categories: upstream, midstream, downstream. You can see them uh, there on the screen. Upstream is is the actual exploration and production. Uh, so those are the folks that are, are going out and uh, and um, you know 
exploring for, for new reservoirs, um, doing the science and the geology and all of that to, find, to figure out how to get at it. And then the, the actual work of, of getting at the, the resource and, and extracting it. So those are the rigs and, uh, and the, the, the wells and the pump jacks you see and all that. That's all the upstream side. That's kind of the, um, what, what most people know about is, is that part, the upstream part. Uh, and then, um, of course, that, that means nothing if you can't get it anywhere. And, and that's, in fact, one of Wyoming's biggest challenges is we're so far from, from the markets uh, that, that getting Wyoming's product to where it's needed uh, by demand is difficult. Uh, and so that's the midstream part. How do, how do, you, how do you transport it from, uh, from exploration production to a refinery that can turn it into products that people use every day? Uh, and so that's, it's a couple of things. There's, um, uh, there's, it's kind of, it's called gathering. You'll have all of these wells kind of dispersed around the Powder River Basin or the Bighorn Basin or Salt Creek or any of these places in Wyoming. And it, you, know, you, you, you pull it up at that one point, but then you've got to get it together. And, and, and that's called gathering. And once you gather it, and then you can, these, these bigger pipelines, most of which are, are, are underground, um, it, it, they can go into there, and those are more long-distance pipelines. And uh, you know, we have a few of those, and uh, quite a few actually, but but not as many as we need, if you can believe it. And there's a few big projects in the works to try to uh, try to shorten the distance by having uh, more midstream that goes from Wyoming to Cushing, Oklahoma, which is where the major refining is. Uh, and, and that would really help us out in Wyoming. I think one, pe one thing people in Wyoming don't, don't know all that much is you often see, you watch the news or, or, or listen to the news or whatever, and they'll say, oh, oil is trading at whatever, at $45. Well, usually what they're talking about there is a benchmark of, uh, it's called West Texas Intermediate. Don't need to remember that, WTI, but it's a benchmark of Texas oil. Wyoming never gets that price. You, you, so when you hear that on the news, think in your mind, I got to subtract $10 and that's what Wyoming's getting. So it's, uh, and that's a large part related to our distance to market. So that, that's the important uh, part about midstream. And then, and then finally, of course, downstream, uh, everybody knows you, you can't just pull it out of the ground and use it immediately. It's gotta be both gas and oil is, is uh, processed and refined into usable products. And uh, that's an amazing process in and of itself uh, of how they can take uh, a barrel of oil and and um, run it through these processes to pull out what would what used to be uh, just uh, throwaway stuff and and they can even use those things now for uh, for usable consumer products uh, uh, down the line. Obviously, you know you know about a lot of them. There's you know, obviously there's there's heating and and all that, but then there's the, the plastics. There's medical. Uh, medical uses uh, really runs the gamut um, in, in terms of, of refined products and what it's used for in, in everyday life. It's, uh, it's all over the map and, and pretty impressive. So we have a, a few refineries in Wyoming. They're, they're not huge, though Sinclair uh, is, is the largest in Wyoming and they, they process quite a lot uh, as well uh, of Wyoming crude and some from North Dakota and others uh, and, and then ship them out from there. Those are the three main ones. And then just, just real quick, Eric, uh, uh, in terms of my membership, we've got all three of those, but then we have um, a, a really large number of, of members who kind of orbit those three. Uh, and and you know, these are the people who are 
um, environmental consultants. Uh, they're the ones that are experts on 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 wildlife and and all that. Who who are hired by the companies or even work for the companies, but in this case, they're they're you know. Uh, individual individual contractors who uh, help the companies be able to do the work they do uh, in uh, in the manner that they need to and want to in terms of being environmentally sound, uh, making sure that we were taking care of and protecting Wyoming's wildlife, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you know you have your law firms and you have your your uh, tax uh, uh, your accountants who are who are part of that as well and, and uh, independent geologists. Uh, other scientists, all that stuff. So it's it's quite an ecosystem in and of itself. Of, of you've got the upstream, midstream, downstream, and then this whole orbit of people around that support all three. When we think about that idea of the, the bigger ecosystem, there are two ways that we could place that. One is geographically in the mm -hmm. various counties around Wyoming that are impacted by it, and then on the right hand side, more the idea of the number of employees and the type of earning. You mentioned earlier the idea that you were excited about the data because it was a way to have an impact on a really broad scale. When you think about the impact that your industry has and that your members have, how do you process the data? Yeah, it, it's a big question. And sometimes, uh, to be honest, Eric, it feels a little weighty, uh, especially when I look at a graphic like this, um, uh, you know, that you know, oil and oil and or gas produced in, in 21 or 23 counties. Uh, and quite frankly, um, uh, there, there are some uh, potential in Platte County right now too. So it might jump up to 22 of 23. Uh, Teton likely never. Uh, the people in Wyoming know that that only about 3% of, of Teton County is private land anyway. And, and most of the rest of Teton is either wilderness or uh, national parks or wherever where, where oil and gas is off limits. And that's, that's totally fine, no, no, no problem there. Um, so you know, the, the reach of that is extraordinary. And then you look at just the number of employees, uh, 2019, um, uh, almost 20,000 uh, people in Wyoming. I mean, geez, what, what do we have in the state, Eric? Uh, 550,000 people, 20,000 of them are, uh, are dependent in some way on this industry. And um, uh, that, 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 that feels weighty, not as, not as though I have any um, you know, really direct effect on, 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 their, uh, on, on their ability to keep their jobs, but, but it is my job to help make sure that they can and uh, and I think about that a lot because uh, you know for me it's not about um, it's not about trying to help uh, some um, you know global major company uh, make a few more dollars. Um, that's that that's that's not why I'm in it. Uh, I, I'm in it because of these 19,000 people who uh, take a lot of pride in their work. I mean these are people who. Uh, you know, not all of them, of course, depending on their job, but, but some of these oil and gas fields in Wyoming, I mean, these are not, um, these are harsh places, uh, particularly in the dead of winter. And um, they'll get up every morning and go out into those fields and they do the work that, that's required of them and they take a lot of pride in that. And, uh, and, and I want to help them be successful about it. Uh, so uh, th that's why I do it. And, and, and you just look at the makeup of, of the companies, of, of PAW's member companies anyway, you know, we have um, and, and the companies doing business in Wyoming in general, I mean, there's, you know, about 80% of the operators in Wyoming are Wyoming-based small mom-and-pop operators. 
um, and we have you have some big ones, of course, uh, but but most of them are all independent companies. Even the bigger ones are independent. They're not the global majors. Uh, so uh, it's 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 a little different in Wyoming than where everything is bigger in Texas and all that kind of stuff. We we have smaller guys, independent guys and gals, and uh, that's what makes up those numbers. And um, uh, so it's important to me to try to do what I can to to help them uh, do their jobs. idea of the, the GDP or the gross domestic product of the industry. When you see a graph like this, you may look at it differently than someone like me does. When you look at this graph, what do you see? Well, I'm happy to answer that question, but actually now that you mentioned that, I want to know what you see so I can know how to, how to talk about it better. Um, part of a reason for, for putting this together, quite honestly, is um, we've been really trying hard over the past couple of years to, to help legislators and the public get a better grasp of of how big uh oil and gas is in terms of uh of our contribution to the state of wyoming and and how much it means for uh for wyoming in order to to do any of the things that we want to try to do together as you know in terms of government or or economic development or any of that kind of stuff so um uh we often talk, we have a, a, a bit of a, uh, of a mythology in Wyoming, and I don't use that word negatively. I, I, I actually like the mythology. I use it, um, you know, that we have this sort of three-legged stool, that we have agriculture, and we have travel and tourism, and we have energy, and the three of them make up our, our Wyoming economy. Well, um, I would like, you know, when I look at this graph, what I would love to have happen is to have that light blue travel and tourism bar be as, as high as the oil and gas bar. And I would like for the agriculture bar to be as high as the other two. Um, and we should figure out ways to, to, to help that happen. Um, but particularly as it relates to travel and tourism, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about how, oh, you know, travel and tourism is the future. You know, it's, it's how we're going to uh, to be as a state. Well, the numbers just don't add up when when we're talking about economic activity in the state. I'm not even in oil, the, the dark blue bar is oil and gas only. It doesn't include coal or uranium or any of the other resources. Just oil and gas has more GDP than the other two legs of the stool combined. To me, that's not really a very stable three-legged stool. It's a one-legged stool, quite frankly. And and, and I, I, again, I don't I don't say that in a negative way because I want agriculture and travel and tourism to be as as big. That would be great for Wyoming. It's just not. So so we we bring it up not to say, hey, everybody check us out. It's to say, let's have a clear-eyed understanding about where our economy is in this state. And if we have that clear-eyed understanding, then we can start to have honest discussions about what what do we do to help those other two bars get better and what do we do to make sure the that dark blue bar um you know stays as high as it can so that we have the freedom and ability as a state to to work on other things um diversify our, our economy bring in other industries those sorts of things uh so um that's why we wanted to have this is just to give a really visual a pretty clear visual of uh, of the vast difference there so not to turn the tables on you but i want i want to know what you see when you see this thing 
I like it. You're you're the best guest. You you turned the question around. For me, when I when I looked at it, and also as I was processing what you were saying, if I drew a comparison to this, and I said, let's let's imagine this was a chart of my income, and I don't have a chart of my income, but let's say I did, and one part of my income that counted for the biggest part of my standard of living and my plans for the future were dropping like oil and gas. And to your point, if we included uranium and coal and, and some of these other elements on here, and they were dropping as well, I would be worried about that because I don't wanna cut my cost of living. I don't wanna change my plans for the future. I've gotta find another way to bring money in. And if I can do it by increasing travel and tourism or agriculture, that would be fantastic. If I can't do it that way, I've gotta find another way to do it. Right. And I know in Wyoming, we've talked about diversification. We've used that word since it was probably one of my tougher words when I was three to try to figure out what the heck that word even was. <laughs> yeah. um, because right. people were probably saying it when I was three. Um, but finding another way to compensate for those revenues rather than just waiting for oil and gas to hopefully rebound. Because based on this graph, it doesn't look like that's a realistic expectation. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's realistic. And yeah, that's, uh, I, I tend to focus on the on the last two. We probably have 2018 data now. Um, this goes to 2017, but but I kind of ignore the steep decline from left to right on there on the dark blue. Uh, but it's true. And, and, and the other part of it is the, the light blue on travel and tourism. You can see a trend line there that is ticking up, um, but um, it is not ticking up at a rate that will help Wyoming uh, be able to um, uh, to meet its needs uh, if that's all that we're relying on. Uh, so, uh, so you're right. And you know, I've got a gazillion more thoughts on that in terms of what our tax code looks like and all that. But I'm on board, everybody to tears. So, um, so well, but it I, does I, lead that's... us though into a conversation about when you say tax structure mm, yeah. um, mm -hmm. for those people who who haven't connected the dots or just haven't given it any thought probably the impact that when revenues go down in oil and gas, then there are fewer tax dollars going into the economy of the state. Right. How does that impact people in Wyoming? There, there's a comment on the left side of this uh, visual, for example, that says it equates to roughly $2,900 for every person in Wyoming, but we're not getting checks for $2,900. What are what are the things that we're getting based on oil and gas? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned it that way. That's that's based sort of what Alaska does, right? They 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 pay their citizens based on oil and gas revenue, and uh, what a mess that has become. Because uh, obviously, as you mentioned, you don't want to see a check like that go away. So, <laughs> but this would be you know it's the twenty eight eighty two for every person, um, which isn't every taxpayer. Um, you know we should. You know, that's if, if we change that to, um, uh, you know, to uh, a, a typical household or whatever, that number would be quite a bit bigger. I mean, essentially, what it does is it says um, that it, it's it's a it's a pretty clear visual that oil and gas by itself um, uh, subsidizes to a certain extent. Uh, I love that word, but for lack of a better word, subsidizes what would have to be paid by the average Wyoming citizen to, to maintain a current level of, of services. And that's a big debate in Wyoming right now is, is our current level of services right? Should it be less? Can we can we cut our way out of our current predicament or do we have to tax or, or whatever? And um, it's, uh, 
you know, not really my lane, but but I think again on the same sort of sort of issues we were talking about before. If you look, you know, 2019, 1.67 billion total for state taxes. Uh, again, to put it in perspective, you know, Wyoming's annual budget for their general fund is about three billion dollars. So if oil and gas is paying 1.67 of that and and goes through a catastrophic year like we've gone through in 2020 then we're not we're, we're not talking anymore just about the annoyance of having um some rest areas closed um uh the, the, the it's real it's real and uh, uh so um part of you know my goal is to try to get us back so that we can have a little more freedom to make these decisions uh but uh, you know it's it's it, it, it's quite a lot, and and if you break it down, you know, per person like that, it's it's a lot. And one I just want to highlight, it's really kind of off topic, Eric, but I, it's been kind of in the news lately, and I just want to highlight it real quick because nobody really knows what it is. That on the left side, that that very bottom one, that conservation mill levy, um, it's it's just a it's just a only oil and gas pay it, um, nobody else pays it. And I just want to just mention for folks that what that is is that, that goes into a fund that pays for. Um, a, plugging abandoned or orphaned oil wells, um, legacy ones where, where, uh, where people walked away and shouldn't have or whatever, um, and, and then for the reclamation of those. So it's been in the news quite a bit lately about uh, this problem, and it's a big problem in other states. We actually have a pretty amazing program in Wyoming where oil and gas pays into it, and then that money is uh, funds um, a lot of my members, contractors who go out and do this work. and. Um, we have over this past year, we've, you know, we've had all these rigs laid down. So we have people who aren't doing work in terms of actual production and what we've called for and what, what Wyoming has done is really accelerated, um, our, our plug and abandoned work, uh, our orphan well work. So I think we have like something like, uh, I want to say, uh, like 3000 or so orphan wells in Wyoming. And, um, seems like a lot, but if you look at Pennsylvania, they've got like a hundred thousand or something. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and we're, uh, we're probably going to be able to knock out half of those in terms of plugging them and rec reclaiming them over the next year because we have more workforce available to do that work and we're funneling money that oil and gas pays for, not the taxpayer pays for. So anyway, a, a weird rabbit hole I wanted to go down just because I saw that and, and it happened to be in the news lately. So, it, And I do appreciate that rabbit hole. We'll, we'll come back and, and touch that same concept again in just a few minutes, but the idea yeah. of there being so many ways that your association, your membership is involved rather than just the upstream, midstream, downstream. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit a moment ago about the idea of, of budget, which for most of us, the idea of a $3 billion budget is almost impossible for us to wrap our brains around. Right. But the idea of the impact, and, and you mentioned earlier that you feel a certain weight on your shoulders, even though you might not be able to do anything about it, when you think about the the services that are provided by your membership, and then you think about where we go in the future, how do you how do you think about the future? Do you tend to be optimistic about it, and and we're just going to find a way to make it work, or do you think about it a different way? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great question, and I'm uh, it kind of depends on the time horizon a little bit. Uh, Eric, I'm 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 optimistic that oil and gas will come back, um, you know, after 
you know, that we get this pandemic under control and demand comes back the way it should be. And, and data is already indicating that. And there was a lot of talk early on that we would have this like V-shaped recovery, right? We had this big decline and then demand would come roaring back. And, and, and data has actually shown that on the demand side, that's true. Um, the trouble is uh, um, uh, it, it takes a little while for it to kind of work its way back up to Wyoming. Again, our distance to market. So our while the demand is kind of this V-shaped recovery, the, the production side is, is looks more like kind of a reverse check mark a little bit, like it's kind of coming back, but then it's flattened out and it's not good enough. Um, uh, but I think I think we'll get there. And a lot of my members are really kind of bullish, you know, in late this year and into 2021. And once that demand comes back. Uh, so in the, in the short term, I feel pretty good. Um, in the long term, I, I think it's, uh, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't think pretty critically about the direction of, uh, of energy markets globally and, 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 but particularly domestically, uh, you know, there's something like, um, you know, I don't know, 1.3 billion, I think people in the world who still live without electricity. Uh, so let's, let's, let's not deceive ourselves that all of a sudden it's going to go away. But let's also not deceive ourselves that markets aren't changing and that demand isn't changing for other sources of energy. And uh, so, you know, there may be a time when either the market or the government or both will force Wyoming's hand. Um, and, you know, look, um, uh, you know, we have a candidate running for president whose who's stated platform is on day one, he'll end oil and gas leasing on public lands. Uh, so um, it's not, I, I, I don't mean that to be a political statement because there's lots of else going on there, but it's, but that's, a, that's a unique and um, a new public declaration from a, a major candidate. And, uh, and so we might be in that, that category and we just, we, we can't, we can't, we can no longer sort of operate under the notion that, well, it's always going to come back. Um, I think we'll come back from this, but, but we're on a trend line that I think we need to be clear eyed about. It leads me to a, a question about a, a small phrase that you used in there that that's much bigger than a small phrase. You, you said there's a lot going on here. The idea of the intricacies involved in the state budgeting process, the policy process, the amenities or services that we all receive and what priority those all have. Um, did you have any idea that it was as complicated as this? Had you had some insight into it in your other roles or did it take you by surprise? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. It's funny because uh, when I was uh, working on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., working for Representative Lummis, um, I, I was her uh, staffer on the Appropriations Committee in, in Washington, which you know, is the committee that decides, um, well, ostensibly decides where the money uh, is supposed to go. And yeah, that was really challenging. It was really kind of disheartening for both me and, and, and Representative Lummis at the time. And, and just, it was, it was um, opaque and it was um, really top heavy and kind of difficult to understand and all that stuff. And I was really excited to get back to Wyoming and just sort of get rid of all that noise and, and have an easy biennial budgeting process. <laughs> and I was sorely disappointed. It is much, it's, it, is, it is complicated here. We, we, we do a lot of things right in Wyoming in terms of we have single issue bills. You know, you're not, you, you always hear these things in DC where you've got a, a bill on uh, whatever national defense and there's some like agriculture thing in there or whatever, it happens all the time. We don't do that here and that's great. Single issue bills, um, a lot easier to understand, but 
uh, our, our budgeting process and, and what's sort of kind of jokingly um, referred to in the legislature about all these coffee cans that, that Wyoming has. So just have an enormous amount of, of, of these coffee cans where the money comes in and it flows over to this can and if that fills, it flows to this can and this can and then you can only access this can for this thing. And it, it's, it, the, um, it's very difficult, even for those of us who spend a lot of time in it to understand it. Um, I think it's near to impossible for anyone with a normal life, with a normal job and other things to care about could, could possibly understand. And I think that's a little unfortunate. I wish that we could, we could simplify it a little bit. Speaking of coffee cans, uh, there, there's a fair amount, I assume, of a role like yours where you're interacting with either the people that you know, lay people like me would think of who influence policy legislators, but they're also all of their teams, all of the people that they use to research and keep them informed. There are uh, other groups that have a stake in what's happening um, because a decision a legislator makes affects not only you and me, but a, a host of other interests that are involved. Right. Um, in terms of dealing with the legislator and policy makers here in Wyoming, have you found that to be fairly similar to your experience in DC or is it different in Wyoming in some significant way? Uh, it, is, it is almost night and day different, quite frankly. Um, it, it's uh, funny, a, a friend of mine who uh, used to be the chief of staff for uh, former Senator Craig Thomas from Wyoming. Um, he described how it works in Wyoming more like hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, it's all just it's all just really close in Wyoming. And I, I sort of joke that I think why I think the way Wyoming's legislative session works in terms of the interaction between uh, public and lobbyists and and legislature is probably what DC looked like about 100 and 150 years ago. Um, in, in DC. By the time things get to the, the floor of the House or the Senate, it's, uh, they know exactly what's going to happen. It's very scripted. Um, there's, not, there's not debate that really happens on the floor very often. Um, and, uh, you know, you, um, you know, all these various groups that work on it, they, they come talk to staff and all that. And, and it's just, um, it's, it's, it's much more distant uh, in Wyoming. Um, whether or not you're a lobbyist or just uh, you know an interested citizen like yourself, you can come down to the Capitol. You can stand right where this sign is, and and you can you can watch um, the legislation happen. And you send in like honest to goodness like actual like notes to the legislators, and they come out to the lobby where the term lobbyist comes from, and you talk to them. Uh, just one-on-one, you know, uh, and there's sort of a code of ethics for how that works. If you're having a conversation, you and I are having a conversation and a legislature comes out to talk to you, um, I need to step away because you're having a conversation and I don't, I'm not privy to that. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of, of, of kind of code of ethics there. And, uh, but it's interesting you said, Eric, um, the, the people who are doing research for them, I assume you mean the legislators, um, that, that's probably... It's one of the most interesting thing about Wyoming. I mean, legislators don't have any staff. They they have um, legislative service office, which is a sort of a team of lawyers and some researchers who who put the you know put pen to paper and write the bills. 
but but the legislators don't have any research staff. They don't have anyone to do that work. They're totally on their own, um, or they uh, and or they rely on the on those of us who work in the various trades or other other groups. The the so-called you know the evil lobbyists or special interest groups or all that stuff. But Wyoming's got got all of them. There's oil and gas. There's environmental ones. There's one for the hospitals. There's one for the doctors. There's one for convenience stores. There's one for everybody. Um, and they the legislators rely on us for information. And it's um, people might say, oh man, well that geez, how are they ever going to get like truthful information if if that happens because of uh, you know just the general uh, attitude and opinion about about lobbyists. But I'll tell you. Wyoming is too small for those kind of shenanigans. And um, if, if, if I go to the legislators and I uh, intentionally feed them misinformation or feed them outright lies, my career is over in Wyoming. I, you know, I would, I, would have to, I would have to leave because there would be, there's nothing, there's nothing for you here if you're gonna work in a small, um, ecosystem like the Wyoming legislature and, and it's it's surrounding people and you're going to be that way uh, and everybody knows who those people are and it's it, it and they don't last so um, uh, you know I really view my job in a lot of ways as you know they reach out to me for information and I will and I will give them information they know that I'm going to tell them what I think from from my particular standpoint um, but, um, you know, it, one of the, one of the most important things uh, about this job is also being able to, to kind of understand and, and articulate what the other side thinks too, so that you can actually have a legitimate conversation without having to, uh, you know, sort of worry about, well, I'm only going to tell you my thing and you got you know, whatever. So, um, uh, it's, it, it, it's interesting because of how close it is here. Um, you can't, you, you can't get away with being rude to people. You can't get away with. Uh, with that kind of stuff, uh, or, or it comes back to haunt you because you're working with them the, the very next day. In my mind, it's a, a good bridge to a different part of your position, part of your job. The first time I, I got to see you do a presentation was in a public setting. Uh, I didn't go visit and hear some sort of testimony before legislature. And I was stricken by how much information you're trying to communicate to members of the public who have such varying levels of interest and education, and they come from different perspectives, they're motivated by different things uh, and have different backgrounds. Um, in terms of that dynamic, what is it that you like about that? I imagine there are days where you like it more than other days, but in general, what do you like about being a spokesperson for an industry? Yeah, it's it, it's a good question, and it's um, I think it's probably a little bit broader than that. Just in terms of what do I like about being a spokesman? Period. Not just being a spokesman for this particular industry. I did it for the for the counties too, um, and 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 you know that's a that was a fascinating job because the counties have a lot of authority in Wyoming, and uh, so their their tentacles are in everything. And so I was a jack of all trades, master of none, sort of sort of gig. So going back to why I came to PAW, it, it appealed to me to have like one issue instead of a hundred. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I've, I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, 
uh, being up in, in front of people like that and, and trying to trying to convey information in a way that's digestible and um, uh, where people can take things away. And, you know, honestly, I don't always succeed at that. I probably fail more than I succeed at that. Um, but it's I enjoy that challenge of uh, trying to find ways to to talk about the same old information in a way uh, in a new way where people can um, say, oh yeah, I never never thought about it that way, and uh, I can I can really take away that information and use it. Uh, and so you know, PAW had not been doing that for a long time, um, and and so I was pretty excited to to build that that part of it. Um, and so you know, I was I was talking about you know, the thing about, you know, don't, don't show up and lie to people or whatever, uh, you know, there's really kind of, in terms of, you know, like this, this slide is at a, um, a hearing room in the Capitol. Uh, and, you know, so a lot of my public speaking is, is related to doing testimony like that in front of legislators, but, but even stuff like, like what you and I are doing, you know, for me, it's kind of comes down to kind of three things. It's that, um, you know, just kind of speak from the heart and be authentic about what you believe about these things. And, and that will come across, I think, I hope, uh, number one. Number two, um, uh, be be direct. What I hear a lot from, from people in these testimony and, uh, is they'll, um, they'll not be sure what they want. And so rather than saying what they want, they'll ask, ask questions of the legislators. And um, I think you can be a lot more effective by figuring out beforehand what you want and being direct about it and then making your best case. It doesn't work, it doesn't work, that's fine. You can't take it personally, but, um, uh, but, but that's, that's been important. And then, and then last is so cliche, but I can't believe how true it is, is that you just, um, just do, do your homework in advance. You'd be amazed, amazed at, at uh, just reading the material beforehand uh, how far ahead that puts you before you show up to some of these things. And, and that's true for, I've had a lot of experience and a lot of practice doing public speaking. And sometimes I get complacent where I'm like, ah, I've done it. Yeah, I can go do that. Uh, no problem. Um, but I tell you, I, I, I can, I can tell the quality level has dropped so much if I haven't spent time thinking about it and thinking about uh, the, the material and the order of, of how it's going to go and all that stuff. I, it just, uh, uh, um, I can, I can see it in myself, whether or not other people can see it, I don't know, but, um, but, but doing that homework. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, so all that combined and you get to do these, these speeches and it seems to have a, a, an impact or people at least enjoy it for the time that they're there and that kind of thing. And I, I get a charge out of that. It's, it's pretty fun. I'm, um, you know the the going to receptions and 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 really like the you know shaking the hands and meeting people you don't know that that's not really me I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, surprisingly more of an introvert in that sense um, but the speaking part uh, I, I do really enjoy and for for anyone who's listening to this or watching it and and hasn't had a chance to see Pete do a presentation that's legitimately a presentation rather than a conversation like this. Uh, it's what I saw initially and what made me think you'd be a great guest on the podcast. So if that's Thanks. what you're shooting for, that actually does seem to come across really well. What, uh, which one did you see? What, what did you see, by the way? It was about three or four weeks ago, and it was uh, done through, I believe, the governor's office. There were oh. two or three different presenters talking about the state of the state, um, oh, okay. and you were one of them. And uh, I always enjoy a presenter who 
even though you've done a lot of prep work, you still come across very conversationally. I think you do a really good job of that, even in your presentations. No, thanks. That's nice of you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. One of the issues that I'm certain you spend a lot of time thinking about and researching and planning uh, how you're going to communicate on behalf of all of your members uh, is represented a little bit on the screen. We hear things like protected species in Wyoming or migratory corridors in Wyoming, lots of other issues where there's a, a seeming conflict between the energy industry and the environment. And I think people in the public can fall into thinking of it that way, that, that they're, they're pushing against each other. Or they're not trying to work together. As I've done some research into it and talked with people in the industry, I was surprised to find it's actually largely not like that. Um, yeah. they're, they're working for different goals and purposes, but very often working together. What, what have you found the experience to be like on issues like this? Yeah, you know, I have to tip my hat right off the bat on this to um, to my former boss, Representative Lummis, who um, who used to talk about it. Maybe she still does. I haven't I haven't heard her, but um, she used to talk about uh, sort of environmental stewardship uh, as uh, that we have um, that we as as just an American people and as Wyomingites, we have really evolved and progressed on environmental stewardship. Um, that we we now really have a, a 21st century conservation ethic, that it really is more deeply embedded in our um, in our culture in in United States at large, but also in Wyoming than than it used to be, and our 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 21st century conservation ethic um, is outpacing uh, the way that we talk about it and the way that our regulatory structure is set up uh, as well. And um, I just, I, it, was, um, uh, it was a moment of revelation when she started talking about it that way. Uh, and and, and I've, I've always, uh, I've, I've, I've kept that and, and think about it a lot. Cause this is really one that I am very passionate about um, because, you know, I grew up in Wyoming and, and I love the state and, and everybody loves the state who lives here generally uh, other than the wind and, and you know, whatever. But um, I think what's, what's probably most interesting about what I find fascinating is really not talked about very much because you can get super in the weeds really fast and then the eyes glaze over is, is how much industry is intimately involved in the scientific uh, and biological studies of, of how uh, to reclaim like this rig that you're looking at, which is it's probably in Converse County, I'm gonna guess, this is a Powder River Basin uh, rig, so probably north of Douglas. I mean, look, that's beautiful. That's beautiful to me, that, that landscape. I mean, my, my friends from the Midwest would be like, where are the trees? But I, I just love that, you know? And, um, but you can see it's sage, it's sage uh, steppe and, uh, and, and, and tall grass prairie. And you can't just, uh, when that, once that rig is moved off of there in 30 days and it's reclaimed down to a pump jack and later on it's reclaimed, you can't just throw some dirt on there and walk away. Uh, there is an entire field of science about what does that canopy cover look like and how do you regrow that sage uh, sagebrush, which incidentally is actually kind of hard to regrow, turns out. It, it, there's a lot of work on, on how, how, do you, how do you regrow sage sagebrush and all that. So um, the, the industries employ a lot of people who's, who um, their sole job, all of their, their training in, in college and, and post-grad, their sole job is to figure out how do I get a seed of a natural grass from Wyoming 
to do what I wanted to do and grow and make this look like the way it was. Uh, and, and so they, you know, forget about all those taxes you saw earlier. There's, there's none of that is, is part of the, uh, the millions and millions spent on trying to um, have the best practices and the best understanding about how to put this back so that when that rig is gone and we're looking at that picture, we're just seeing beautiful Wyoming and that's it. Um, and then, you know, and, and then multiply that by the other challenges that we face in, in industry, which which includes emissions and, uh, you know, those sorts of things, both, both uh, you know, volatile emissions, you know, things like um, um, nitrous oxide and, and, and sulfides and those sorts of things, and, and then also carbon. Um, what do we what do we do about that? So over in, in, in Sublette County, which is the largest public lands gas field in the United States, um, those companies have for years and years and years partnered with the county and with Wyoming Department of Environmental Quality to just uh, pump tons of money and resources into understanding what happens over there in the winter when there's snow cover and you got the mountains and there's no wind and they have that inversion. And so you'll see, you know, sensational headlines, you know, Wyoming worse than Los Angeles. Um, well, fine, you know, that, that's, you know, one way to look at it. But let's try to figure out why that happens. That's so weird, and let's 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 find best practices to to correct that. And and uh, and uh, the amount of time and resources that's spent on that that stuff is um, not ever really talked about, uh, but it's enormous. And a lot of really amazing breakthroughs have happened as a result of industry's partnership on those sorts of things. So I'm I'm proud of it, and I'm pretty passionate about it. As maybe you could tell, and uh, you know, I just in part because I, I think we get kind of a bad rap sometimes, but also just because of how much I love Wyoming and a landscape like this that I just I, I wanted to be around too when my kids are and and my grandkids are are enjoying it. You mentioned earlier that one of the reasons you moved back was oh yeah there we go because of a, a better quality of life mm -hmm. and uh, obviously we're talking from offices right now you see pictures like this and better quality of life certainly comes to mind yeah. uh, in terms of of your capabilities and in your obvious intelligence and how you approach different issues you could be doing the same kind of job you could still be in dc you yeah. could be in another market somewhere else why is it you still choose to be in wyoming you know, um, I don't know. Is it the mountains, Eric? Is there, is there like some sort of gravitational pull? I, I I don't know. I mean, you talk you talk to people who live and grew up by the ocean, and and they they talk um, you know sometimes you know with quite a lot of emotion and passion about the pull of the ocean, and uh, I'm convinced that that is also true about a mountains and b open space. Um, and, um, you know, I mentioned that previous one about not having trees and I, you know, I have a lot of friends from college stay in close contact and they just sort of know that, um, they, they joke around with me about being anti-tree. I'm not anti-tree. I'm just sort of pro horizon, you know? Um, so I like, I like being able to see the horizon and, and, and I honestly think that geography that, that, the, that gives you a sense of place, a, 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 a grounding of some kind and it, you know, I, I, perhaps people in Iowa have that about cornfields. I don't know, but um, but but there was certainly just a, a geographic pull, um, uh, a topographic pull, maybe um, uh, for that. And, and the other part, you know, I I, I grew up here, and so uh, there's um, and, and just 
have obviously you can tell just love the the mountains and being able to be out there and and, and fishing and I, I thought you were going to say that earlier that i've had some success you were going to say about fishing and i was like yeah nah, yeah that, that those two might have been the best all year i don't know but um uh you know all that kind of stuff i, I really enjoy backpacking just got my daughters uh, really into it this summer and last summer and and that kind of stuff so uh, getting back into the back country that one on the right is is over in the Wind Rivers uh, uh, in the Bonneville Basin from a couple summers ago, and um, uh, th that that was a big part is um, being able to be uh, to have access to these sorts of things in in the back door, you know, just right outside our back door. Uh, relatively, was was a big big draw, no doubt about it. And I know that's true for uh, you know, I, I mean, everyone says says that because it's true, <laughs> you know. So it's I'm not I'm not unique in that case. I suspect that people who are watching this or listening to it, uh, if they're at all wired like I am, they, they find you very uh, approachable, like, like an everyday kind of person here in Wyoming. If folks wanted to send a comment your direction in terms of something in the industry, or if they had a question about something related to the industry, I know your team does a great job of, of managing your social media. It's one way to get in touch with you. Is that the best way to reach out to you or is there another way? Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to give out my email. Um, it's, Please. Uh, it's Pete, uh, just my first name, P-E-T-E, at P-A-W-Y-O dot O-R-G, P-A-W-Y-O dot O-R-G. Uh, and yeah, social media is a great place. Um, we're at P-A-W, uh, P-A Wyoming, at P-A Wyoming, both Facebook and Twitter. So um, uh, we've been having a lot of fun with social media, which is fun for, for a lot of my uh, old school oil and gas guys. They, they, they're like, what, what is this stuff? So what you sit around and do all day is this stuff? Uh, but but it's part of our effort to be more accessible and, and outward facing. And, and and I appreciate you saying that, Eric, because, uh, you know, I'm happy to take calls from people and to chat about this stuff. And, and particularly if they, they see something or hear something they feel like isn't going right. And, and, and part of it, you know, frankly, is if you're a member, if you're a member of PAW, you've, uh, you know, we don't have like a code of ethics necessarily like a written sort of thing, but you, it's kind of an unwritten code of ethics. If you remember PAW, you sort of, we, we, um, we, we work on best practices. Um, if, if something's not going right for whatever reason, we have those conversations too. Because you know things don't go right sometimes, and and uh, and, and and we need to be aware and, and cognizant of that. And so, uh, the the association provides a means for all of us to uh, work together. Yes, uh, you know, drive policies we want. Yes, but also to kind of hold each other accountable a little bit too, and to try to make sure that we're. We're moving in the right direction for for the industry and for the state of Wyoming, and so I really appreciate that about my members, and and I'm happy to have those conversations with anyone who who's willing to to have an honest conversation about them. Well, on behalf of all of us, that all of your members help to support all the services that you provide for us, and also just as a citizen of Wyoming, it makes me really happy that you moved back like we did. Um, thanks for doing everything that you guys do, everything on your team and all your industry. Um, and also to you, Pete, thanks for doing this today. It was really cool of you. Oh, this is great. Thanks so much, Eric. And thanks to you guys for moving back also. So uh, uh, we, we need more of that. We need more of it. Amen. Oh,